as a church, we are currently making our way through the Gospel of Mark. And the Gospel of Mark is a first century biography about the life of Jesus, um, written by a scribe named Mark. And we've been in this study for like um, 31 weeks now, um, and we have plans to finish um, by the end of the year. And so um, I hope you're Mark. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 10. And um, as I read, follow along with me. We're going to be looking at verses 32 to 52. Verses 32 to 52. Yeah? Um, All right. Verse 32, and they, that is Jesus um, and his disciples, and they were on the road. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles available for you um, at the back. And the reason why we want you to have a Bible, we want you to see exactly what we're getting, um, what we're discussing about. And so we want you to see it for yourself. And so if you need a Bible, we have Bibles available to you to your right. Yeah. All right. Verse 32 to 52 of Mark chapter 10. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve, and take and taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. Verse 35. And James and John the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I'm baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Verse 42. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even a son of man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Verse 46, And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and the great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind man, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out to him and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. 
But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take up, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man, and the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this reminder that you not only care about our heart's desires, but you care about the motives in which we make requests to you. And so as we look at, we look at how Jesus interacted with his disciples and blind Bartimaeus, may you help us see that you are the one we need to be looking to, not just for healing, but for everything else we need. In your name we pray. Amen. What do you want me to do for you? If God was to ask you this question, how would you answer? What do you want me to do for you? What would you ask for? Maybe a new car, a bigger house, a new job, a peace of mind, security. If you were to ask my three-year-old daughter the same question, she would say, a new Elsa dress. Let it go. What would you ask for? A healthier marriage? Would you ask for purity? Would you ask for God to provide you with the needed strength to get through the rest of this week? What would you ask for? In our passage for today, Jesus asks this question two times. And you guys should have identified this as we've read it. He asks this same question two times. He first asks his disciples, and then he goes on and asks a blind man. And the answers he receives will help us all think about how we may answer or what we may ask for when Jesus asks us what he can do for us. Look at verse 32 again. It says, And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And so in those days, it was customary for a rabbi, a rabbi was a traditional Jewish term for a teacher, for a rabbi to walk right ahead of his disciples. Again, disciples is another word for students. 
And as Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem with his disciples, he feels the need to let them know that the pilgrimage to the Holy Land is unlike any other. Not long after he gets there, he tells them, he's going to suffer, die, and on the third day he will rise again. And that's what verse 33 and 34, in his own words, as told to his disciples, he says, look at verse 33 and 34 again. He says, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him and after three days he will rise again. And now this announcement... It's not new to the disciples. They've heard it before. In fact, this is the third time they've heard Jesus talk about his future suffering, death, and resurrection. And you guys know this. If you've been with us through Mark, this is not the first time. Okay? And the incredible thing about this is that on all the previous occasions, the disciples react in ignorance, and not only in ignorance, but they react by thinking of their own greatness. They're thinking about what they can get out of this, and this time, it's no different. James and John react in exactly the same way. Look at verse 35 to 37. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever you ask. we ask of you. I love that question, right? Come up to Jesus. Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Cheeky, cheeky, cheeky disciples. Verse 36. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. And so in asking this of Jesus, James and John had a partial understanding of what Jesus has been talking about all along. But based on the request they just made, their understanding was flawed. You see, James and John understood that Jesus was going to be exalted in some way. He was. Um, and Sinclair Ferguson says this. He says that they understood that the Messiah was going to suffer in Jerusalem and then he was going to rise again. And this could mean only one thing. The Messianic age promised in the Old Testament scriptures was almost here. And so that is why James and John waste no time in asking Jesus for their two most important positions in the kingdom. That is to be given positions of power and prestige and honor in the coming world right beside Jesus himself. And this request was shocking and inappropriate. And I love what one author says. He says, their request is like being at a wedding and demanding to be in all the photos. And not only that, but the, you want to be in all the photos um, standing between the bride and the groom. Unbelievable. That was what it was like. And so like you and I, they want importance, status, and recognition. 
But Jesus wants something very different for them. And what Jesus wants for them is way more, is less glamorous, less self-centered, but way more fulfilling. And so what does Jesus want for them? Look at verse 38 and 39. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? 39. And they said to him, Jesus, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I'm baptized, you will be baptized. Jesus compared here. This is what Jesus is doing. He's comparing his coming suffering and death to the drinking of a cup and the practice of baptism. But James and John do not fully understand. They don't realize that the cup and baptism were symbols for suffering. That's why as soon as Jesus asks them whether they can drink the same cup he's going to drink and be baptized in the same way he was going to be baptized, that's why they scream out, we are able They didn't pause to reflect on the meaning. They didn't seek further clarification from Jesus. They thought they knew what it all meant. Ultimately, they're blind to the fact that the joy of following Jesus is found not in status, not in significance, but it's found in service. That's what they're blind to. Sinclair Ferguson again says, like Peter before them, they were looking for a crown without a cross, glory without suffering, honor without humility. James and John want glory, but have no clue about the path of suffering that will lead Jesus to glory. Look at verse 41. And when the ten heard it, that is the other disciples, right? How do they respond? They were indignant at James and John. The other disciples are not happy. They're not happy about James and John having this secret plot in order to gain a significant position in the kingdom. Before things get out of control, before they start throwing fists and handbags at each other, Jesus steps in and shows them that following him is about service, not status. Following him is about service and not status. Look at 42 and 43. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. Okay, But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Jesus is saying here, this is what he's saying, if you're really my disciples, if you're really my followers, everything has to change. If you really want to be first in the kingdom of God, you must be willing to serve. True greatness is on display when it's rooted in servanthood. 
One author says the reason James and John and the other disciples are grasping after these things is because they don't yet understand that Jesus is offering them something infinitely more valuable. And what Jesus is offering them is himself. He is offering them himself. That's why in verse 45 he says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If Jesus had given them what they wanted, it would not have satisfied them anyway. No amount of power, no amount of money or achievement or relationships or friendship or sex or spirituality is never enough. We always want more, don't we? And the reason is the deepest cravings we have, the ones we try to fill with all these things, can only be fully satisfied by loving and serving the one who made us God. It just is. It's the way he made us to be. We go looking for contentment and satisfaction and fulfillment in all the wrong places and we chase after them in the hopes that they'll give us what only God can give us. And in the Bible, this is called idolatry. And idolatry is to look to something God has created as a substitute for God. In other words, it's turning a good thing into a God thing. Even when Jesus has just offered them the greatest treasure in all of the universe, James and John reject it for something infinitely lesser of lesser value. They just do. And so... On their way to Jerusalem, Jesus and his disciples pass through Jericho. As is often the case, news that Jesus is in town spreads quickly and it reaches the ear of a homeless man. His name is Bartimaeus and he is blind. And like so many people, he's heard about Jesus. And he believes that Jesus has the solution to his problem. And what was his problem? He was blind. So as soon as he senses Jesus is near, he begins to shout out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And although people are telling him to be quiet and show some respect to this well-known rabbi, Jesus, on the other hand, doesn't tell him to be silent, but Jesus shows him sympathy, right? And so Jesus calls him over to himself, and verse 50 tells us what blind Bartimaeus does. What does he do? Look at verse 50. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And then Jesus asks him the same question he asked James and John not too long ago. And that question, look at the first part of 51. It says, what do you want me to do for you? Remember, he asked his disciples that same question. He asked the same question to blind Bartimaeus. And how does he respond? His response, his answer is so different. Okay, Bartimaeus is a beggar. And the only thing of value he had was a cloak. But when Jesus called him... 
He was willing to let go of what was most valuable to him, that is his cloak, so that he may receive from Jesus. Look at the last part of 51. It says, and the blind man said to him, okay, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Unlike the disciples who are obsessed with power and prestige, Bartimaeus is willing to make a fool of himself in the eyes of others so that he may get close to Jesus. The disciples came with an attitude of entitlement. Jesus, we want you to do for us anything we ask of you. That was the attitude. They were demanding. They were entitled. They felt they deserved whatever they wanted from Jesus. They came feeling like they deserved. They asked Jesus for something that would put them on a level above everyone else. They came to Jesus looking for glory, but blind Bartimaeus came to Jesus asking for mercy. He knows he's in no position to make demands. He's a beggar. He's blind. He knows he needs mercy. And in the end, that's exactly what he received. Mercy. He got what he did not deserve. Look at verse 52. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. What an amazing, amazing experience. What an amazing, imagine being Bartimaeus, receiving healing, and being able to see again, and experiencing all of these things. I wonder what you would do. I wonder if you received, you suddenly received what you desired from God himself, how you would respond and I love how Bartimaeus responds. Look at how he responds. After receiving his healing, look at the last part. It says, he immediately, um, he recovered his sight and followed Jesus. He followed Jesus on the way. For blind Bartimaeus, the reason why when he received his healing, right, he didn't go off and say, I'm going to go check this out and do this. But instead, he decided to follow Jesus. He decided to dedicate his life to following Jesus. And this is exactly the experience we all have. When we receive grace and mercy from Jesus, what happens is that we are willing to drop everything in order to follow Jesus. If you choose to embrace Jesus, he will become the source of your greatest and lasting joy. Although James and John were kind of blind to it, a blind man named Bartimaeus knew that the greatest treasure in the universe was standing right in front of him, asking him what he can do for him. And the best decision he ever made was to open up his hand, beg for mercy, and begin to follow Jesus. This morning, right here, right now, Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, is here with us. And he is whispering in all of our hearts 
the same question he asked the disciples and Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Jesus is asking. How will you answer? What will your answer be rooted in? Like the disciples, what you ask for, would it be motivated by selfishness? Or like blind Bartimaeus, will it be rooted in your need for mercy and the desire to know and follow Jesus? What do you want God to do for you? And in reflecting on what we just studied, what you should want God to do for you is to open up the eyes of your heart so you may see who he truly is. And when you discover more and more who Jesus is and what he's done for you, you will be satisfied in him and you will be willing to let go of anything that you deem as being valuable in order to embrace him and experience the lasting infinite joy that is in Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time. Thank you for this morning. May we become aware of the truth that you are here and that you are our treasure. Work powerfully in all of our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. So.